Hey, welcome to Info Under the Radar, the show where we talk with an expert to simplify everyday ideas, concepts, and subjects that surround us. Hey guys, welcome to the episode 10th of Info Under the Radar. I'm your host, Devendra. I'm Vishwajit. And in this episode, which by the way, is the season finale of season one uh, for the podcast, we have tried to cover a topic that is that seems easy at, at, at front, but has a lot of layers and complications to it. So of course, you would have thought about food today. I hope so too, that you got some as well. <laughs> but uh, food isn't just about food anymore. And it's more about people associate identity with it. And there's also a racial element attached with it, some stigma stigmas attached to it. So this is, this is that's what made the topic for us a tad bit more complicated. Hence, we had to find out or search for a guest that would do justice to it. And we couldn't have found someone better than our guest today, which was Serena Dai. She has appeared on Ugly Delicious, a show by David Chang on Netflix, which primarily talks about association of food and race in general. That's how we discovered her as well. By the way, you can watch her on season one, episode seven. She currently is also a senior editor of Food and Wine at San Francisco Chronicles. She has a background in journalism uh, from studying from Northwestern University. Previously, she also has been an editor of Food at Eater New York, which is an internet publication. And they write some really good articles. We would recommend that. And in the past, in 2017, if I'm not wrong, she led the investigation against uh, the alleged sexual misconduct by celebrity chef Mario Batali. So with all those feathers in her hat, it was it was a fun conversation around a topic that could have gone tad bit darker. So as we talked about earlier, that association of food and identity is something that people do consciously or subconsciously. I do it. I know it. That food is really important to me. But what about you, Ishwajit? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we both really enjoy food, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, between two of us, we both also enjoy cooking, uh, mm -hmm. eating nice food. I also really enjoy the, the experience part of food and drinking in general. Uh, I think with this topic, particularly, the personal thing for me was like, uh, when you move out of, let's say, your own country, for example, in our case, like when I started living in Germany, there is my identity started getting attached to the food, meaning that, let's say I come from North India, then there is a presumption in locals that there is a certain food I eat. And mm -hmm. a lot of times they're surprised by my food habits. And it's vice versa true as well, yeah. right? A lot of people think, oh, okay, if let's say someone is German, then they definitely love beer and they're drinking beer all the time, mm -hmm. which well, which is true sometimes, but mm -hmm. not necessarily true all the times. And this is, let's let's say, just the fun part of it. And then there is like these deeper, right, darker elements to it, how like uh, the, the uh, food is also related to uh, yeah. colonization, right, racial identity, and so much more yeah. complicated. And the things. stigma and stereotypes attached with it, of course, as you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was fun in, in a way to talk with her because that's day in day out what she thinks about what she writes about and in, in the course of the conversation uh, you would see that we have covered these aspects of it where how food and culture have an intersectionality between them how one represents the other and how one is perceived based off of the other so when you go to a restaurant how do you perceive the culture based off of the food that you have whether you consciously admit or are aware of it or whether not right so we did talk about it i think i think uh, besides these sort of 
seemingly heavier topic I, uh, we promise you we we kept it very light and fun of course being serious at times uh, as the topic requires right we did talk about what does authentic feed means to us mm-hmm. and we would also love to know your thought on that by the way on our social media mm-hmm. uh, but you will hear what we think what's saying nothing and I, I really enjoyed the definition she gave for authentic food so you will hear that later and of course we we have uh, sort of made fun of different cuisines at times and uh, not 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 at all in an offensive way just mm-hmm. in a, just going out of our depths let's say sometimes just based on our experiences so if you if you know a lot about certain cuisine and if you hear which we said something incorrect or made joke of rest assured it was all meant it in a light-hearted way but of course we are always happy to be get corrected <laughs> yeah and most of the examples that you're going to hear are from San Francisco Bay Area from her side because that's where she has primarily worked or US in general. Um, but I think the overarching generalization sometimes works really well even if you live in other parts of the world. Right. At least we try to touch upon those. And as far as what you just mentioned, right? Like we discuss about it in detail. Uh, authenticity in general is a very tricky term when it comes to food. So def- defining it is anyway difficult, but it would be fun for us to know what you guys think in general. How do you associate authenticity with a, with a certain cuisine or just the cuisine that comes from your own country, your own culture? So just hit us with your answers or um, your suggestions, your critique, your comments about this or in general about the episode. Our entire season one would be out by the time you hear to us. So you can reach out to us on all of our social media channels at the rate info under radar on Twitter, at the rate info under the radar on Instagram. And you can search for info under the radar on YouTube and hopefully you'd find us. And with that, we won't take much of your time and we welcome our guest, Serena Dai. Hi, Serena. Welcome to Info Under the Radar. First of all, thanks a lot for taking time in your morning I guess I can see that you you are a bit sleep deprived <laughs> <laughs> so really appreciate that you still are talking to us uh, how are you doing I'm good thank you so much for having me I'm I'm chugging through I have a coffee in front of me so we're gonna we're gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a big cup of coffee so that's good like I can I can really see it's actually pretty big so that's nice it's, it's, yeah it's like a soup bowl but with <laughs> coffee uh, I might refresh at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm personally I'm also not 100% because I got, got my vaccine yesterday yeah I'm still having a bit of an effect of it let's say <laughs> well congratulations that is exciting <laughs> yeah thanks Thanks. I, I I hope I feel the excitement part uh, in two days or so when when my fever and everything is gone. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, basically, I mean, we wanted to talk to you uh, because the, the topic of let's say food and culture and also sort of technology maybe that kind of really interest two of us and. Personally, I got to know you because I, I saw like your, I think your, this segment which you did on the Netflix show, Ugly Delicious, right? I think it was in season one and uh, that's where I, and I really loved that show actually. And I was like, 
man, this is like, they are looking at food and culture at a very different angle. And then when I was thinking about something like this, and then I remember, I, I remember seeing your, seeing your episode. So let's try to reach out to you. And, and you were kind enough to do this. So, so let's maybe, maybe I can set up the stage of why it interests me personally. So the topic interests me because I mean, I'm coming from India where food is important, which is, which is one part of it. Another part is I really enjoy cooking um, and in, in general, the experience part of food. But more importantly, we are also now immigrants here, like two of us. And there has been sort of a different way how I feel like my identity is sort of being attached to food now in a very weird way, which I did not experience, let's say, in the first part of my life. Uh, I, I did not change anything, but people definitely associated me with a certain food and they were very surprised by cert- some of my food preference, etc. So maybe you can, you can tell us uh, how did your, uh, your background of being Chinese American uh, impacted your identity? Like, like how did the food impacted that? How was it growing up Chinese American? Like, do you also had this feeling of, I'm not sure how I feel about my lunch, you know, these <laughs> stories which we hear about. So yeah, would be interesting to hear that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, you brought up a really um, interesting point because you grew up not really thinking about it as much as everything's just normal, right? Like everyone was eating the food that, that you ate and, and the experience of being an immigrant um, you do end up associating with the, with food a little bit more culturally. Um, yeah, for me, my family moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a suburb in, uh, in Tennessee. And, um, at the time there just weren't that many Chinese people. And, um, they, uh, you know, most of my family is still in China. So my parents came over on their own and, uh, it came in their early twenties and, um, me and, my, me and my younger brother were born here. And I think food was one of the few ways that I, I felt very connected to my family and something that we did together. And it was very clear from an early age that the stuff that me and my family ate at home was quite different from what was being, for example, served at school lunch, like available at restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, we mostly ate at home with my parents cooking. And, um, you know, I spoke, I went to like Chinese classes, there was a small Chinese community and we would go every weekend and, and talk and um, would have these parties where potlucks where everyone would bring uh, Chinese food. And uh, it, I think that the language aside, you know, as a kid, I had, I'm like, I was like any kid and, and you sit through a class on a Saturday and you're like, oh, get me out of here and, and kind of and push it away. Uh, but food was something that I really loved. And um, was was the, one of the few ways that I, I still felt connected to my parents' history. Fascinating. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll dive deeper into it, but you touched one more interesting thing that your discovery of Serena was discovery in double quotes. <laughs> was, uh, because of when you saw her in David Cheng's show, Ugly Delicious. Like, how did that happen? Like, how did, how did you, uh, how are you approached or how did that story, and how was working with David Chang like? Yeah, uh, so I, at the time I worked for a website called Eater. Um, I now work at the San Francisco Chronicle, but started mm-hmm. very recently. Um, and this was many years ago. Um, and I, uh, how did it start? 
Oh, so I had written a piece. I was writing some opinion pieces and there was another review site that had reviewed a Chinese restaurant that, um, that was run by someone who's not Chinese, which mm-hmm. inherently I think is okay, actually. Like I think people should be able to cook what foods they, they want in general. Right. Um, but within the context of that restaurant, uh, I, I think that some of the things that the restaurant had done were not particularly sensitive to the fact that they were profiting from a culture that wasn't theirs. Mm. But the, the the review as well, um, the review as well had many, uh, many of the things that were worded kind of strangely and some stereotypes were invoked of uh, Chinese people um, for a very long time historically food and has been... Uh, even though there are like what, just as many Chinese restaurants as McDonald's in the United States, um, there was an idea of grossness and uh, the review had had ma- basically made this comparison of Chinese food being gross, but this Chinese food is great. Mm-hmm. And at the outset, you know, maybe that's just how the, the reviewer felt, but the, the context around it is, okay, so you're basically saying Chinese food cooked by Chinese people is not like dirty and gross, but this Chinese food cooked by a white person is really great and the best Chinese. Um, and it was just, it just set up a really bad dynamic. So I wrote a piece about how um, choosing your words and reviews that that review what had some had some racist implications. And mm-hmm. I, I was writing about let's can we stop writing re- racist restaurant reviews? Like we can do this better. Uh, there are ways to be respectful and talk about the food without diving into longstanding stereotypes that over time have been quite harmful, um, not just to a business, but to people, like people who look like me, uh, people who are um, in particular East Asian and present as Chinese uh, Mm -hmm. or others might assume they're Chinese. There are all these various implications and little things can really build up on those stereotypes. Um, And apparently this is what I, I heard is that Dave, liked it and uh, they were doing these round tables anyway um, and just asked me to be on this round table talking to people about topics like this and how identity folds in with food. I mean, I think that's the whole show was very, yeah, I, I personally have never saw or thought about food, let's say from subconsciously, maybe I have experienced some of it, but I never actively thought about food, you know, like how it has such cultural and historical impact and I guess of course for someone like you you work in that industry I think maybe those were the things you were already looking into but for me as an audience it was very eye-opening that yeah it is kind of true so that kind of leads me to to my next question which is do you do you think like especially in a country like U.S. which is supposed to be like the melting pot of a part of the world where you know different cultures are brushing shoulders with each other. Do you think there is this feeling within the food society or maybe even for consumers as well? Do you observe there is a feeling that Indian food should be cooked by Indian people or Chinese food should only be cooked by Chinese people? Or if you are not French, then you cannot be, uh, you cannot have, you know, learned those high end uh, French culinary skills. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that more recently there is this idea of if I'm going to go to an Indian restaurant, I want it to be cooked by an Indian person. And 
I don't necessarily think that there's something wrong with having that desire, especially if, you know, I'm, I'm Chinese and I, my family's Chinese and I know that my parents would trust a Chinese restaurant more if a Chinese person was, yeah. was cooking it. Yeah. I think where the, I think where this conversation comes up a lot is in finer dining and places that are quite trendier and a little bit more expensive. And I think, um, you know, the, this conversation has shaped a lot in the last few years over in food. And I, I think there was at one point a very, um, an early view that now feel that, that sometimes was um, talked about simplistically and kind of missed the point where it's like, oh, well, just, you know, you should only cook the food of the culture that you belong to because mm-hmm. of all this historical stuff where um, when a white person cooks Indian food or a white person cooks Chinese food, it's more likely to get uh, you can, you can charge more for it. It can Mm. be more expensive, but people don't necessarily want to pay those same prices when at a restaurant cooked by the person who's, who's from that culture. Um, I I think a lot of backlash to this view is, oh, it's a melting pot. So anyone should be able to cook anything. And I think I agree with that statement. Anyone should be able to cook anything. No one's saying that you as a human being can't like cook something in your kitchen you know, I think it's great. I think it's really beautiful when people try to make um, food from different cultures, because I, I do think it can be uh, a, a window into how different cultures act and operate, and you can learn about history, and, and I think it's a really beautiful part about food. Uh, you know, our critic, Salejo, recently wrote this really great piece about about this very topic, about cultural appropriation, and how she was kind of sick of talking about it, which uh, I am, I am in some ways too, because a lot, because the backlash is very much just, oh, people are just saying that you can't cook any food you want, which is not true. The real core of the the issue, which was her explanation, was this this economic thing where you think about global politics and colonization and um, and globally there is a long history of extraction. And this idea that um, Western, predominantly Western cultures can take anything they want from, from other cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, taking what they want and then not necessarily either giving back or paying the right amount or, you know, in some cases it's slave labor, just all these various things. And um, there, there are different versions of that throughout modern times as well, even though the, uh, not the colonization was even that far away. It's like, so, so very, I mean, you guys know very recent, recent history. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you think about, if you think about it from the economic perspective, it's not that uh, a white guy can't cook Chinese food. It's that um, the, sometimes it ends up feeling like certain you're extracting what you want from the culture but not necessarily respecting the people who make it and not really taking into consideration um what you've taken taken from them and prof and if you're profiting off of cooking food from a different culture and the dynamics of that and um and what does it mean that you have this platform but someone from that culture who's making the same food doesn't have the same platform and so it's much more complicated uh and it's not necessarily to blame one specific person it's just structurally this is just something that's repeated itself over and over in history and how can we be more thoughtful about it how can we be deliberate about it and, and talk about it in a way where okay you know if i am i like i'm not thai if i'm going to be opening a restaurant that serving Thai food, who am I, who are my stakeholders here? Am I reaching out to people in the community? Am I making sure that if I can 
I am being a representative of this culture that I'm not a part of, that I'm doing it in a way that's respectful and responsible. Mm -hmm. um, am I hiring people from the community? Am I giving back? Um, are there, you know, am, am I connecting with others within the community, whether even outside of restaurants, uh, to to be engaged and alert, um, to show that I am not just here to, uh, that I'm not just here to, to pull out the things I like and make money off of it. Um, there, there's just an aspect of it that can just still feel gross to a lot of people uh, because of long histories in the world mm -hmm. and, and who has power and who doesn't. Well, I do agree with what what you, you, you said, but isn't there also like a flip side of it? So if I just look at it from purely business point of view, right? Sometimes people are just opening restaurants because they want to make money. Not sometimes, most of the time, right? Be it your Gordon Ramsay and or your mom and pop shop, right? So is putting this much expectation, for example, on someone who's from other culture, who is opening this restaurant, maybe because they think, you know, it's like the trendy thing to do right now, or maybe it's because they think they really like that food. But do you think it's fair to put this much expectation that they should hire people from a certain culture or give back to it. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with what are you saying, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to understand how much that cultural appropriation is correct. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great question is, is how thoughtful should people be in, in this situation? There, you know, I think everyone needs to make the best effort and around it. Um, mm -hmm. If you, Think about what a restaurant is. Yes, it's just to make, it, and many people are opening it to make money. Although anyone trying to get rich off the restaurant business is, you know, that's a tough, that's a really tough yeah. game. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think that people should be making their best effort. And I, I do think that restaurants are such a big part of our community and in any, especially if you live in an urban area where um, the restaurant ends up being the public spaces in, in many ways. And I, mm. I, I think restaurants are really important. I think that they are um, gateways into other worlds. I think that they are um, spaces for people to connect. I think they're living, breathing parts of a city. Um, and I, 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 I put a lot of importance on their cultural impact. And I think a lot of other people do. I think a lot mm -hmm. of other people see restaurants as leaders and restaurant owners as leaders within their communities. Um, if you think about even uh, the ways that people are engaging with their, their cities, you know, maybe they're going to a park, maybe they are, um, you know, going to their local independent bookstore. Um, and then a lot of it is people are probably going to their restaurants. You have mm. even think about like the rise of Amazon and, and e-commerce and there are very few, uh, you know, because retail has, has totally tanked and is, is struggling, there are very few places that um, people still commune in person, and because mm. you, you, you ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't, you can buy food off the internet, but if someone still has to make it, right? Like there's, there's, it's not, it's, it's something that's still tactile in our world. Mm -hmm. And from from that end, I, I do think if you are opening a restaurant, particularly if you're someone who has ambitions to be a um, I don't know, be, be getting awards or to be getting reviewed, uh, you do have to take that into account because you are representing something and you do have responsibility to, to the people around you. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't know, maybe it's, 
maybe it's because in part because I just put so much importance on restaurants and maybe other people don't care, care no, as no. much. No, people, yeah. people subconsciously do. People subconsciously do care about it. Like for example, the best, like take for Japanese cuisine, right? So if you are visiting 10 to 12 different restaurants in the period of six to seven months uh, of entering into a new city, have you moved into a new city and then you like that certain restaurant, then suddenly your recommendation language changes the next time you recommend the one that you like the most. That, oh, go to restaurant number C because they serve the most authentic Japanese food. Now, it doesn't even have to be the most authentic Japanese food. It just has to be enough to convince one person that it's good enough in taste and mm. it suits their taste bud. So the representation, whether we like it or not, comes from that. And I'm and I'm in line and on the same page of the book as far as it's concerned about the authenticity of the food in some respects of it. However, authenticity of the food in, in my head doesn't have to do anything with authenticity of the hands that make it. The question that I rather have in that regard mm -hmm. is that whenever there's going to be some sort of transfer of cuisine or recipes from one culture to another, some people living together in a society or a new country or a new city, there are going to be some cultural transfers, shoulders are gonna rub off of each other's. So there's going to be some assimilation happening. Taking for example, mm -hmm. New York makes its own type of pizza now, which is completely different from what Napoli pizza is. So that so where do you start to draw a line or if you should draw a line about what is assimilation of uh, representation of food culture and what is appropriation of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question uh, as well. I, I think that a lot of people think that the culture of cultural appropriation is like, well, you know, why don't we just blend cultures? It's fun when there's fusion and, and it's interesting when mm -hmm. people um, are inspired by each other. And I agree. I, I think so too. I, I think it's good when different cultures are, are you're getting inspired from your city. And you see a lot of restaurants in, um, you know, New York have a lot of influence from Jewish deli culture or... Right. Um, Caribbean food, there's a huge Caribbean population there. There's like or the Chinatowns there. Here in San Francisco, uh, you know, has the Bay Area has one of the highest populations of um, Asian Americans in the country. And so you even in restaurants that are not um, Chinese, you will you might see ingredients that are more commonly found in Chinese cuisine than they are traditional American cuisine. I, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I think it's really mm. great. And it's, um, it, again, it's a matter of being, being thoughtful about how you present yourself and, and, consider, and con ha having this consideration. So it's one thing for a restaurant to open and say like, I am an quote unquote authentic, which authentic I think is also a word. I, I, I don't really use the word authentic. I use, um, yeah. because even like, here in America, it makes the assumption that there is a static version of what a food should be. So, you know, someone might say, okay, this is an authentic Indian restaurant. Like this is exactly how you'd find it in India. And, and I think for people who know the cuisine more, you can maybe make a judgment of like, oh, well, I like this, so it must be authentic. But what if you guys have one experience with restaurants there or home cooking there and then another, you know, it's a very large country with a lot of people. So yeah. someone might not have the same experience as you right. and someone else might think yeah. that's not authentic. So I think mm. the word authentic is, is also something that is oversimplified and yeah. I try not to use anymore because of that, because it can be such a moving target. It's definitely mm -hmm. more about, you know, the issue comes into play when, like, for example, in the Bay area, one, one restaurant that was um, the people were feeling very strange about was this, 
very fancy Thai restaurant in the Bay Area. And it was claiming to have food straight from Thai, that it was authentic Thai food, that this is exactly the kind of food you would find in Thailand. And um, it was run by people who are not Thai, which again, is not in itself the issue. But the fact they were claiming to be authentic Thai, and then their menu items had mistakes. Like they had written words in Thai, but apparently the way that they wrote it, people who are Thai were like, this is a mistranslation, this is not accurate. Um, or there was another dish that claimed to have one kind of noodle, but actually they were serving a different kind of noodle. And if you are claiming to represent a culture that is not your own, those are the kinds of things that you need to get right. Because yeah. you are presenting food to a lot of people who are also not from that culture and are trusting you to... Um, if you say you're authentic to be presenting mm -hmm. things in a way that's accurate. Otherwise you think right. about how misinformation spreads and misconceptions spread. And that's really where the hurt comes from and, uh, and where the issues are, where a lot of people in the Thai community here said, this place is making a ton of money off of their restaurant or may, maybe is, are making a ton of money or that and claiming to be authentic when in reality they're, they're making mistakes and that and and that's that sucks, you know. It it just uh -huh. it's, it's hurtful, and and ultimately, I think that that restaurant did apologize and did reach out to people and started donating to nonprofits in the area, which I think made some some folks feel better about the investment they're making to make those changes. Um, that's important. It, it's it's you kind of have to be thoughtful about it. It's not like you, no one's saying you can't do what you want to do. It's be considerate. In the example that you put, do you think that if the people who are owning the restaurant or the chef who was making the Thai food, if they were Thai, like native Thai people from Thailand, would they have gotten away with much less or gotten away without, with a free ticket in this same scenario then with some mistakes in the menu or changing the type of noodles? I mean, the kind of makes mistakes they made, just a Thai person just wouldn't make those mistakes. Mm, if they, right. you know, if they know the language, then why would they have made this, this error? Right. They wouldn't have. Yeah. I guess what, I guess what uh, Devendra was trying to say that maybe there is, it's like a, you know, there is a certain biasness, which also comes when maybe if they were Thai and then if they still made mistakes, not language related, could be something else maybe then it's a bit more forgiven because maybe people can trust yeah they know what they are doing so but i do agree with you that you know when it's from the outside culture then you are a bit more responsible yeah. right so i i totally agree with you so maybe maybe taking this conversation into the lighter side of the thing so around the same angle is mm -hmm. what's your opinion or i should say what are you observing in the industry when it comes to like this movement of the uh, authentic food versus this fusion food or so i mean especially in america everything is americanized right like everything, which is yeah. <laughs> which is also beauty of it right like personally one of the best pizzas i have was in new york city so personally i really like new york style pizza but then my italian friends are not happy when i tell them that they think ah oh, come on you had really good pizza how can you say that but to me they're two different things you know but mm -hmm. so what are you sort of observing the pattern or what's your opinion maybe on this debate of uh, authenticity of the food and then this like making its own thing? Yeah, I think it depends on where you are in the country uh, and into the style that the dining scene is. Um, 
I would say here in the Bay Area, from what I've seen so far, people are very into doing their own takes on on stuff. So mm. not necessarily tied to a specific idea of what a cuisine is, but pulling mm-hmm. inspiration from it. And um, and I think in New York, similarly, it was it was it's a combination of both. And New York is a little bit more tra- traditional in that sense. Is there are a lot of restaurants that say, you know, we're sticking to Roman food, we're sticking mm. to Tuscan food, we are sticking to Sichuan food. Um, but, and then also there's this new restaurant in New York, Damaka, that is saying we're, you know, we're serving you Indian dishes that you'll, you'll really never find in elsewhere in the United States. And we're going to do a good job about it. And okay. these are like true to what is happening in across, across, uh, across the India right now. Um, so, so you really, you really get both. It depends on what city you're in. And I don't, uh, culture wise, I think there is, I think there's craving for both. I mean, it depends on what mood you're in, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that it's not a, it's, you know, there's, you can have any kind of food you want. And and I think there's space for both. I think some days you want something that is a little more to what a version you have in your head is of a cuisine. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back to the word authenticity and why I don't really love to use it is mm-hmm. that people think what their own memory is of a food is the most authentic version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like my most authentic version of a dumpling <laughs> yeah. is the, are, are the dumplings that my mom made. And I yeah. will run yeah. around the world trying to find that again. And I'm never actually going to find it. But, but just people want the memory of what that is. And so yeah. when people talk about a quote unquote authentic restaurant, what they're really asking for is what is a restaurant that's closest to my the version of this cuisine that I have in my memory mm. from when I was a kid. And mm. if it's for another cuisine, someone, I'm, maybe you guys get this question sometimes, I know I do, when people mm. ask me for a quote unquote authentic Chinese restaurant, what they're really asking is, what is how do I access your memory of that? Because mm. I didn't grow up Chinese, but I wanna know what yeah. your version of, of Chinese food is based on what you had growing up instead of um, what has been changed to more traditional American taste, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit sweeter, th- that kind of, that kind of thing, a little stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so that, so uh, it's a, it's a tricky question. And I think what's interesting now about how restaurants are going is that they're able to embrace both of those aspects and mm-hmm. kind of take these ideas and memories and nostalgia and kind of twist them around and play around with them and, and, and move them forward in, in a new way. So one of the, the hottest new bars and restaurants here in the Bay Area is called Viridian and it's in Oakland. And there are a ton of, um, a ton of Asians here and a, a ton of Asian Americans who grew up in the United States and their parents grew up in the United States. Like they had, their families have been in the country for much longer, which is, which is unique in the United States as a whole because of the way that um, the immigration laws are, are here where for a long time, for example, Chinese people were just literally not allowed in, into the United States. Um, but because of that, they have, uh, the owners of Meridian have all these very specific memories of going to Chinatown in, in Oakland, but they, that's not necessarily their life experience as a whole um, because they grew up here and they are inspired by like finer dining restaurants. They've worked at French spots. They've, they've worked at really trendy cocktail bars. Mm. And so they take the memories that they have of Oakland Chinatown and put them into dishes. So mm. there is a, there's a toast, there's a, there's a toast there with a very incredible scallion butter. And this butter is with like, has mushrooms on it. And it, and um, these flavor elements that might, you might find in like medicinal store in Chinatown, or you heard like a scallion pancake, a super traditional 
uh, Chinese dish. Um, and it's not quite that, but it's taking those flavors from the scallion pancake, from this, this dried mushroom and putting it into a butter and having that on toast. So it's kind of modernizing quote unquote authentic flavors. And so you, you see a little bit of all of it and it depends on what mood you're in. Like that right. place is a bar. If you want like a night out and have like a really great fun drink, um, that's maybe where you would go. Whereas right. maybe on a weeknight when you're feeling a little homesick, you would go to a place with less splash where you don't have to see anybody because you like just want to wear your sweatpants and you know you're not gonna get judged. <laughs> right. um, so it's really where you're in the mood in yeah. and it, there's more acceptance of the different styles. Yeah, I, I think I asked this because maybe you are in America in a bit of a special position that way, because now there is an appetite for both because it was not used to be the case even a few years ago, right? That it was more Americanized Chinese food or Americanized Indian food because we see that here in Germany, like Indian food to me, like all of my friends ask me, so what's the best Indian restaurant? Like I tell them, None of them, in my opinion. And then I invite them to my place. This, <laughs> this is how I make friends. <laughs> no, it's like, but honestly, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm that good of a cook. But like mm -hmm. when, when I have cooked for them, mm -hmm. they're like, holy shit, I have never tasted it yeah. like that in an Indian restaurant because like they are so Germanized version of it. So here, you know, I would say that that culture is still changing because now there are some Indians who have lived here, for example, for many years or... For, for example, for Vietnamese people, it's a bit different because they came like 40 years ago and things are changing with the younger Vietnamese people. They are opening different type of restaurant. And also now younger people here are also changing because they are traveling a lot. So they, they see it differently, but I still don't have that much options here, as you said, right? Like, so that's why I asked like where it's sort of the scene is kind of pushing uh, because of course, mm -hmm. in an ideal scenario, uh, we have appetite for both, yeah. I like the thing that you mentioned that it also depends on the mood because I guess the mood with which you go to a place also dictates how you're going to perceive the taste of a certain food because like taking in the cultural experience of it also depends with what mindset did I go in. If I went to a bar, I don't really care about how authentic the sushi it is, which is being served to me along, alongside a shot. Mm -hmm. No one's going to serve that to me, but I'm just raising a very bad example. But if I go to like a really like let's say Michelin three-star Japanese restaurant. And I'm going with a mindset that now I, in the next one hour, I want to understand everything about the culture of food serving in there. Which also brings me to another thing that I, I, I was very interested in asking to you, that now that you have seen so many restaurants and seen uh, so many cultures through the lens of food, do you, do you think that you found some cultural similarities or some uh, cultural representation that is very apparent that comes out of their food, food habits or the way they serve or the way they eat? Well, what do you mean? In the terms of, let's say, for example, uh, when, uh, when I go to an Indian restaurant, which I really do, then the one thing that strikes me off really odd here is that they serve in really small bowls. So that is not a good cultural representation because traditionally in if you go to any Indian household then they serve you in big bowls and that is how we communicate you know our affection with food like we overfeed the person who has come to eat with us so yeah I and mean, you can relate right like we feed them to a point that they want to die 
<laughs> but not in a bad way, but like in a good heavenly way, if that's how yeah. we try to imagine. So seeing culture through the lens of food in, in this example, so now that you've seen so many, do, do you find any such similarities or it's just my- Or, or maybe, maybe I should add like mm-hmm. with fine dining, like French food, yeah. like they focus a lot on <laughs> like how the food looks, yeah. right? Like the, even more important than taste is the, the look of it. And when I was in Lyon, which is considered mm-hmm. like- one of the best food cities in the world, some might say, at least for fine dining, they really, really care about mm-hmm. like each and every dot which goes into it. So so I, we are trying to understand, is it because of certain cultural things? Why is it like that, for example? Oh, for the different presentation or-, or Why is their focus on certain things in certain food? Is it just based on their culture, background, their history or- yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, it probably is because of all these various cultural things, like Chinese culture. It's also family style. You overserve everything in big plates. Everyone's communal. Whereas I think it wasn't until maybe the last. It, it was. It was less common until um, the last couple decades in the United States to even have communal dining at restaurants. Like I, I don't know. In, in America, you had a lot of place where you're okay, we're going to get the appetizer and maybe share the appetizer, but then everyone gets their own entree. Like everyone gets their own plate. Like <laughs> yeah. I remember growing up at, you know, at home, my family was always eating family style, but then I would go to a friend's house who's American and everyone got their, everyone got their own plate with like right. three on there. And, and it was just, it was just very different. And I, and I think it's like anything, it's, it's a social norm where um, every culture has its different social norms and how they are interacting with each other and, and how they eat together, which is such a big thing because you're, typically eating with your family. And so just seeing how those social norms develop and, um, you know, with an Indian restaurant going to Germany, they're probably going to have their, the, most of their audience is going to be German people. So they're, they're going to need to adjust their social norms to present things in the way that they, that yeah. German people need it because they need, you know, you have to, you have to meet your audience where they are. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I, I think that also the great thing about that is social norms can change and they're malleable and they're not set in stone. Oh yeah, I was just saying whether it's for food or for more social, social things. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's something that can be very malleable and also something for food. If you do want to open, let's say you guys are going to open a restaurant in the United States and you have certain things that you know would only be done in in India, you could maybe just do it and convince people that hey, this is how it's done in India, so this is the way we're going to do it. <laughs> See yeah. how it goes. <laughs> yeah. No, I I, I think. I don't know, maybe maybe it's just how I, I see the world. But I also think like, for example, in general, if you go to France, there is a lot of focus on appearance itself, be it physical appearance, be it architecture, right? So maybe that also translates to the food itself. So, I mean, if you go and go to Paris, like, like you can have so many self-doubts, like the way normal people dress there. And I feel like <laughs> it's like the same, you know, with, with uh, French food that the focus of yeah taste is secondary almost sometimes i feel but the presentation is so much primary while on the other side on indian food taste is everything and most of the time indian food looks ugly to be honest like <laughs> maybe indians won't like it when they hear it but like indian food is not really beautiful like right <laughs> we're not really good at presenting it for sure yeah. <laughs> it's ug- it's ugly delicious <laughs> perfect no, we're not really good with presenting it that is for sure like everything looks orange so like yeah, <laughs> I, I know i know the stereotype like there, there is some truth to it i'm not gonna defend that on, on that front um but in in general yeah like 
I've lived in France for two years. And even when you go to like regular friends and all, like I visited a friend's parents and like my plate looked like I've been served and it's not like I've been told to eat. Whereas if I go in general to, you know, if a friend's house back in India, it would be just like, there is good food and you eat. But here is like, they serve you food. And sometimes if you go to like even a mediocre restaurant, it's almost like if I hadn't seen the price, I would feel like I have to sell my kidneys to just eat. Even <laughs> <taste that. laughs> it, it, I don't know. I don't know what do they do with it. There's just one, I don't know, bell pepper dancing on the side and saluting you. I don't know. Why they do it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, uh, to be, and of course, Serena, maybe, you know, you know, more than, more than we do, but at least like, uh, to be honest, like learning French style of cooking involves yeah. a lot of hours of work and, mm-hmm. and, and there is a, a big culture there if you go to Lyon there are a mm-hmm. lot of schools which focus a yeah. lot on specific type and I guess when you spend so much time then I guess maybe things get expensive it's very methodic this. it's very methodic yeah. like you, you measure it to the gram and you have all those fancy industrial equipments in which you do sous vide and I don't know what, what yeah. else do they do <laughs> but it's, it's almost like you could reciprocate the same taste again and again I bet my ass on it that I cannot make, even if I say that I know how to make an Indian dish, probably I cannot reciprocate the same t- taste that I made last night. Yeah. <laughs> but that's true for any food. That's just, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 heard, I saw, actually, I think it was on an Eater video mm-hmm. where uh, a guy said, the special thing about cooking is that you never repeat same dish ever. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. which is kind of beautiful. I tell that to the French. They don't do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> they repeat everything. Before we alienate uh, 0.01% of our French audience. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's in their praise in some way. It's just because it's coming off in English, they might not like it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I mean, to be fair, the, the, the food is like good and what I really like is uh, and I know we are going a bit on tangent yeah. uh, but but I really like that they really believe in this using uh, n- like nose to tail kind of mm-hmm. uh, food culture where they focus mm-hmm. a lot on organ meat and stuff and they're still able to like foie gras it's it's just it's duck cool. liver it's but cool. it's still so expensive but it tastes good so I kudos to them then they can make sort of ignore ignored organs taste good so yeah but uh, but coming sort of back more to our main discussion and sorry if we went too much on the tangent no is... no it's fine i also say that a lot of cultures do to nose to tail right yeah. like i feel like you know i know in chinese culture people you don't waste a single bit mm. i think a lot of like um so it's, the fresh food in a very in their own specific a very ultra way you know it's very extra to do foie gras it's, it's like a whole <laughs> thing but you think about you know, especially with like, um, with a lot of like Southern food, food, soul food that has its mm. roots in, in, in like, uh, black America and mm-hmm. the slave trade where, or, or people places, um, elsewhere in, in the globe where people without as much money are kind of forced to use meat, cuts of meat, for example, that aren't as, aren't as expensive. And so it's, it's, it's everywhere. All that, a lot of, you got to use every part of the animal. The only people <laughs> who don't do that is Americans. So we're like, oh, I need like a clean chicken tender. I don't want to see the bone. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to say Indians also do that. They only want to eat the good parts of, of a goat or a, or, a, or a chicken. But yeah, it depends on the region you yeah, go. But yeah, at yeah. least the middle class India don't want to eat liver, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I wouldn't say that about East India, though. No, I'm only India. talking about the India we come from, which is North India. Okay, possibly. Yeah. 
Yeah, apologies <laughs> when we say India, it's usually yeah. North India. So this, is, this is why I always have to, in any food conversation, I always have to say this one statement, there is no such thing as Indian food, it's a yeah. myth. Yeah, it's purely course. a myth, like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> regional, if European food exists, then Indian food exists, otherwise it doesn't exist. <laughs> Which now, now that we have expressed our explicit association of identity with the food and our passion with it, I would like. I would like to know that. Do you also associate a part of your identity with the food in in general? Do you feel that it's an important part of you, or it, in food in general holds a very special place for you? Or or do you get annoyed by this point because that's basically your profession? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I love I love food. I still love food, and I, I well still. now I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do. And now, in fact, I might, I'm, I'm just, the big thing is that I'm probably more of a snob than I, I, have, I ever have been. <laughs> I, I've had so many, I've been incredibly lucky to have opportunities to try some of the best food I, I think our country has to offer. And um, I don't know, I hate eating bad food. So now I'm like, if I eat mediocre food, it's very upsetting. I, I, I like, I'm the person in my friend group who's always, okay, let's choose a restaurant. I will choose it. It will be the best restaurant. We will have a good time. I'm, I'm wanting to, to make sure that everyone feels good and, and is eating something delicious. What, what's your definition of good food, by the way? I know it's a hard question. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just something tasty. It depends on taste. <laughs> like, your personal opinions. But, I, you know, I also just really love being in restaurants. And so I like the the... I like the journey of going into a place and being served in a, a loud room and um, you oh, know, yes. a bottle of wine poured with your friends and yeah. catching up and everyone reaching for this dish and every bite just having your, your mouth explode That's and, and having that communal experience. I, I love it. I missed restaurants so much in the last year of not being able yeah. to have, have that because it's, it's social. It's, it's also tactile and um, it's, yeah, I, I, I still love it and I love, I love restaurants and I, I, all different kinds too. Mm -hmm. So when you're hanging out with your friends in general, like does your profession also come into a in your head that you should now rate the food that you're just there doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a critic, so I don't necessarily like take notes on anything, but I do always, I am always thinking like, do I like this? Do I not like this? When I come back here, mm -hmm. is, this, is there a story here? Is this place worth writing about? But you know, it's the most part I just enjoy, or mm. at least try. So since you said that uh, you, you love restaurants and you missed the experience of it in the last 15 months or so, and luckily now things are getting better, both here, also in US, I think things are even better there. Um, so do you, are you seeing like sort of any big shift in culinary world due to, you know, this crazy pandemic which the whole world faced and I think one of the industry which suffered the most is the food like the restaurants right mm -hmm. yeah definitely um it was it's been a brutal year it's been a very brutal year for for restaurants and uh and I, I think a lot of them are probably going to close um and I think a lot mm -hmm. already have closed uh but how they're changing I, I think it's still so early to tell that people mm -hmm. are still Kind of crawling out and trying to figure out what people want um mm. a, and what is going to work and what's not going to work um right now there's a, a labor shortage so over the pandemic you know most people had to lay off their staff mm. almost all of their staff and a lot of people were out of work um but it also the 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 positive side of it to me is that without the with, without the day-to-day -day of just doing the work um a lot of people ask themselves some really serious questions of the sustainability of the work, mm. at, at least in the United States where we have a lot of issues with like 
you know, we don't have healthcare. <laughs> the minimum wage isn't that high. Yeah. In California, it's, it's, it's higher, but, right. um, and now that Russians reopening, a lot of people don't want to go back to the job. One, because they're maybe still worried about safety, you know, working in a restaurant, you're quite exposed. And so even with the vaccine there, I think there's still maybe some hesitancy there. Um, to, to be like, do I want to be in this job where I'm exposed all the time to strangers? Part of it is the health part, but the also other part of it is that, oh, people are like kind of shitty and it's just a challenging job to have to yeah. deal with people's emotions in that way, yeah. being in a restaurant where people want to be served. And um, a lot of people come up against a lot of harassment and, uh, and other just pains where they're being treated subhuman and, and realizing that they don't want to do that anymore. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's a lot of people are not going, restaurants are having a really hard time rehiring and really having to think, okay, do I need it? Like, which salaries do I need to raise in order to, in order to hire people to even just keep my business open and are there more benefits I should be adding? And should I be more flexible on hours and, and all these various things to figure that out? Um, so I do think that is hopefully going to be a positive change is that as the restaurants that remain reopen they will hopefully rethink their um, their business strategy. Like here, yeah. a lot of people are, um, here we have tipping. So basically in most of the United States, servers don't make minimum wage. They, yeah. they have to they have to get it through tips. In the Bay Area, the server, servers do make the minimum wage, but it's still, um, it's still, you know, people are still tipping on top of it. And so servers end up making a lot more money than people in the kitchen because people in the kitchen aren't, aren't always collecting those same tips. Um, and so now, and, and it's also tipping is weird because um, a lot of studies have shown it's a racist and sexist practice. Like if you're a woman, you have to handle a lot of harassment in order to get to get the tip, basically earn your salary. And people who of different certain races are just generally get fewer tips than others. So they're literally making less money because you're basing it on the overall um biases of individual diners which you can't really you know anyone can eat at a restaurant so you mm. don't know what people are bringing into to the business and right. turns out a lot of people bring their own you know in in internal racism and uh <laughs> and, and sexism yeah. so yeah so a lot of people a lot of people are nixing tipping here now mm. which is interesting and I'm, I'm curious to see if it's what's the minimum wage by the way uh, right now in california here i, I think i believe it's 15 dollars don't okay. count me on that. I have to, to check. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think it is also a bit strange going to US. Like I remember when I was there, like because of this, uh, I okay, if you're American, then it's kind of normal for you that, yeah, you know everything and then you have to tip. But for me, it's like I tip when I feel like, you yeah. know, it's a good food. Of course, if I go here also, I tip almost all the time. Mm -hmm. But then again, I live in Munich, which is also like a bit posh city. But uh, but it's not a tradition because people do make minimum wage. But on the other side, when you go as an outsider to US, it's weird because sometimes waiters don't treat you well at the end if you don't pay 20% or something as a tip. So that was a funny experience for me because I really had a bad experience, but their expectation was still to get 20% tip. And my American friend was like, no, no, you still have to give it. I was like, man, that's not cool. <laughs> I know it's again with the social norms there's so many yeah. things to learn and, and you're just supposed to know them I guess yeah. Like, yeah. it's yeah it's it's I, I I'm not a huge fan of this I wish everyone would just get paid what they need to be paid and not have rely on yeah. the math at the end 
sort of going further in our conversation like we already touched upon like the food and and the culture and the intertwining of it right uh, now i see like at least if i call myself still a young person i'm not sure what's the definition of being young but uh, <laughs> but i think like there is a lot of focus on food porn let's say right in 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 our generation like i i mean i am part of it like i watch so many food stuff it's insane like i eat almost every day my lunch watching something on youtube <laughs> you know like they are eating something and i am eating something and do you where do you think this is like sort of coming from because this is also ties to i guess your profession in some ways right like something like eater in my opinion can only exist if there is internet like i did not even knew eater has a big publication because i got to know them through their youtube channel because they have some really cool shows and they bring really cool people so where do you think this is rise of you know this internet sort of this food porn coming from and then where are we sort of heading yeah i i have educated guesses i i <laughs> they absolutely know but my my suspicion is that is in general just because of the rise of the internet and social media uh we're just on our phones all the time we are now shopping through instagram um you know cable is not as much of a thing anymore people like millennials have you know this is a trend for a long time of of just ditching that and doing netflix and all these other things and um so i think it's a combination of those things and then also like i mentioned earlier where because so much online what cannot be what cannot be translated to the internet like you can't actually eat the thing on your screen mm-hmm. and um so people are more interested in food in that way as well i think and also a few restaurants through the last couple decades have become very popular where uh being interested in food became a little bit more mainstream and more important culturally um whereas there have been times in history in american history at least where um food is good food is less central um and f- food culture has been less central to general culture um and then uh then just because of the visual mediums of of instagram and, and it's it just i think food porn just happens to be the way to sell it you know you're yeah. like people are more interested in food and you're scrolling on your phone how do you do it you have pictures of of food and and make it look as evocative as possible mm. um and then the same thing with with youtube i mean so many people are are sitting at their computers and like like you watching youtube instead of um and, and instead of their televisions at lunch and so how do you reach the people who are already there mm. and food just are talking to my flatmates yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think it's a common like a confluence of all all these various things and trends and um that that had led to more food porn more influencers more just content about food there's another aspect to it that interests me in in this food journalism taking another direction in the last couple of years possibly and that is that now with the nutritional research becoming core to many people's idea of health and how to live healthy that also becomes a part of food journalism now somehow that there has to be a separate section sometimes in the articles or the video reviews where they cover a restaurant these are the dishes and then they have to tell that okay what is the nutritional benefit of it and also the other way around sometimes they explore the traditional dishes that are 4 500 years old and why this region might have been eating it so is that something that fascinates you too or do you follow something like this oh for the health aspect of yeah yeah Yeah, I know. I I would say that most of my work tends to deal with the indulgences, uh-huh. like the restaurants <laughs> as special treats or uh not necessarily thinking about 
health, but in general, uh, restaurants overall are, are considering health and considering what is, is better, not just for our bodies, but for the planet. And I think there is mm-hmm, movement yeah. toward, you know, serving restaurants that don't serve meat are more popular. You see the rise of like the impossible burger where it's the, yeah. I mean, the, you know, imitation meat, more mm-hmm. and more imitation meats are, are being served quite in quite mainstream ways and from fine dining restaurants and fancier restaurants to fast food. Um, and, and so I think there is more interest in general, um, which is good on, on thinking about what, what we're putting to our bodies. And you see the also rise of uh, the term organic and the people um, wanting food that's organic. And that is somewhat related to wanting to be careful about what you're putting into your body. Mm-hmm. And I think, in, and also in, in drinks, like hard seltzer, for example, is very popular right now. Oh, yeah. And and it's a huge, huge booming market. And mm-hmm. it has this fake veneer of, well, it has fewer calories than <laughs> other beverages. And it does have fewer calories than than you know some heavier beers and craft right. beers and stuff but it's still and it's it's i mean it's still alcohol, alcohol yeah i mean it's like the <laughs> i mean it's like the argument of diet coke right like it's like oh yeah it's diet so it's good for me but still has things which might hurt our body i still don't know how they remove calories out of such a sweet thing like yeah, it's yeah. Such, a mind, such a mystery to me like they say it everywhere i mean usually a mystery means a mm-hmm. podcast episode so maybe that's something we should do about coca-cola if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> no uh, so actually so it's so you said that your work involves a lot more on indulgence and i was also checking your you know work at the San Francisco Chronicles and Before Eaters, but then you have also done, you sort of talk about heavier things, so to speak, right? Like we already talked in the beginning a lot mm-hmm. about like your views on this intersection of culture and food. And, but then you have also talked about like, uh, I think you were involved in uh, Mario Batali's sexual allegation, right? Which mm-hmm. is like talking about some of the most powerful men in the food, I, I should mm-hmm. say. So what part of job uh, do you feel more like satisfactory let's say because ultimately it's all connected to food in some ways but they are very different at least in my opinion and 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 how was it like when you are working against by the way someone like so strong like do you have almost a bit of a fear like you know do you do you consider even sort of personal safety or things like that or th- that does not cross your mind as a journalist I think as a modern journalist, safety is always front of mind. I think uh, journalists now are on, have to be on social media to, to do the career for, the majority of people do not have the luxury to not be on social media uh, for work because that's so much of what is, is happening in the world and our, our lives are based there. And when you are exposed in that way, um, doxing is real, harassment is real, mm-hmm. online harassment, I think is real harassment. And mm-hmm. uh, so that, that's always a consideration. Um, I think that uh, the that for these particular stories, I maybe wasn't super concerned. One, I wasn't, I mean, I, I was the editor on this, the, that main story. And mm-hmm. uh, this was when the Mara Batali story ran, for instance, it was kind of the heat of the Me Too movement. And thankfully there was a lot of support for, um, f- for stories like that. Where people wanted to were kind of over hiding things and it, it was it was quite a challenge for reporters to get sources for those stories because there's still a lot of fear there but as far as public reaction there there was less fear though in general uh safety is is mm-hmm. such a big thing now and i don't know that there's any really good answers for it um mm-hmm. i think there hasn't been enough protections from 
I, I think it's such a new world and there needs, there probably needs to be more protections from the government to, to, to help with, with online harassment um, and, and pursuing that in a very serious way. I, I'm still not sure it's quite taken so seriously because people are like, oh, you know, well, they just said something bad to you on the internet, who cares? But if you're getting like hundreds of them, that can really have a big impact on your, on your mental health. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I know not me personally, but a lot of people who get, will get threats and oh, yeah. it's, it's like, and you just don't know how serious it's going to be. So that's, yeah. that's definitely a big thing. Um, well, a lighter note, I, I, there's mm -hmm. not one particular part of the beat I, I like more than the other. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's just I, the, the reason I love working in food and why I'm still doing it and interested in it is because of the range of things that I can cover. I previously was a, a local news reporter and didn't just do food. And I, I did really love it. But I think that the thing that I sometimes miss for that is it, it was sometimes like pretty serious a lot of the times. It wasn't always serious, but mm. it, it leaned more serious. And the great thing about food is that you can kind of just talk about what's the best pizza or the best <laughs> yeah. bagel. And that's so and a really important part of the beat. But yeah. the restaurants, uh, again, I think they're so important. I think they're such critical parts of our culture that there are so many various issues that can take place there and they can become, become touch points. And um, everyone's been to a, most people rather have been to a restaurant, whether it's small or big or fast food and has mm -hmm. an understanding of, of how to engage with that space. And so when there are bigger issues like labor issues that we talk about in the restaurant world, there's a reference point for people. And um, it's possible that conversations in that space can extend to elsewhere in, in our culture. So if we're talking about, um, it's kind of similar in that way in Hollywood, right? Where like, not everyone can be in a movie or write a movie, but every, most people have seen a movie and has mm. some kind of understanding of it. And so it didn't surprise me that um, when the Me Too movement really kicked off was because of, of Hollywood. Um, and in some ways restaurants, in a smaller way, I think, uh, can have that same impact where issues that we're talking about in restaurants can encourage people to think about those same issues within their own workplaces. Mm -hmm. I, I think even more than that, especially in the world of social media, I mean, like restaurateurs, like chefs, like Gordon Ramsay, for example, <laughs> or, or your David Changs, and like these people are celebrities in their own right. I mean, oh, so the yeah, line is yeah. blurred between Hollywood and food in some ways. And on yeah. top of all these Instagram and YouTube, yeah. YouTubers who are doing that. So I guess I, I totally agree with you. There is a lot let's say a bigger impact of uh, food than, than we, undeniable. Yeah, yeah than maybe we had in last even yeah. last decades or so i mean we, you also talked about this one thing right which is um, the the people when they come with their inherent like sexism or racism part of it and last year uh, the youtube channel bon appetit they got into this racial discrimination thing for quite long and their channel did not post any video and like separating art from the artist, beautifully done videos just before that thing happened. They, I, I always enjoyed most of their videos. Um, but also this, this, that's also, that's one part of the industry that is lesser talked about. There's sort of a lot of problems with every industry and food industry isn't away from it. Then again, like, do you see, uh, and possibly this has been the overarching theme of this conversation as well throughout our last, like, throughout this discussion, that food is a medium for some sort of inclusivity and intersectionality as well. Yeah, I, I think that I think that the way that sorry, let me phrase that. I, I I think that because every again, just like everyone has maybe been in a restaurant, everyone's eating food, right? Like you can mm, you yeah. can eat food, and and you every most people have some sort of relationship with food, whether it's good or bad or positive or negative. There's right. there's some sort of memory associated with it, mm -hmm. and um, 
I think the fun part of talking about food and culture is that you can see things on the plate that uh, reflect what's going on in the world and reflect history. And, and um, you can talk about it in a way where, okay, what's, what's gonna come next? And mm -hmm. how does that even become delicious? Um, so, I, I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the connection between colonization and um, cultural preparation now, but on the other side of it, there are, um, you know, you can see through immigration patterns, right? Like because of the creation of something like a sesame, sweet and sour chicken in the American Chinese takeout restaurant, where it's much sweeter, it's fried. And, and that's very much an American Chinese dish. Mm. Like that is, if you look at that dish, the history of it is, oh, okay, well you had Chinese immigrants coming to the United States and here's what they're making. And they like the, literally the only job they could do was open a restaurant because of the specific, the specific visa they're on or, or something. Um, and so learning about the dish and, and seeing how that is a confluence of history, I think is super interesting. Um, and, and so you can see, I mean, I think there's definitely limits to it. I think there are a lot of ways if you like, if you're really interested in food, you can eat the dish and you can either just be like, okay, that dish was delicious, great. Or if you're super interested in food, you might say, ask questions about, oh, what was this ingredient that I didn't know? What was this flavor I've never, I don't recognize, where is it from? And through that, learn about um, how that dish came together based on one specific person's history or based on a confluence of people moving to a specific place and, and that food item being produced because of that. Um, and I think that's why things like, uh, YouTube stuff on food and recipes and even the work that I do, I think that's one reason people are interested in it. It's because it's a very approachable way to talk about those things. And at the end, you can, you can eat a thing. You can like have a delicious food. And, and that right. part is very interactive as well. In a world, again, increasingly where you're mostly living online, food is mm -hmm. something that you can't really do online. Mm -hmm. So on, on this sort of beautiful note, we, we already realized we took quite a lot of your time. So we like to sort of end our conversation at a, at a fun question. So since you, you said yourself, you really enjoy going to different restaurants and I guess you are also in a maybe special position where you maybe try things which maybe an average eater not able to try. So my question is, what is like the most hype thing you wanted to try and it turned out to be real shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even know. So many. <laughs> I'm to think. Jeez. I mean, there's a lot of hype stuff out there that's just like on Instagram that I, <laughs> that are, that are just, you know what I hate like that I, that I never want is the things with like the gold flakes. There's a ton of people oh, like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just those those kinds of things. I'm not that into. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to mention anyone specific, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of those things that are like completely overblown or like a milkshake with a gazillion ingredients. It's, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's not for me. All right. So so I think uh, on that note, we would like to say that thanks a lot, Serena, for taking yeah. your time to talk about these various aspects of food. Some sort of heavy some light and it was thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable conversation so conversationally a full three-course meal <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much genuinely for taking out time early in the morning and uh, food in general is something that i believe uh, is a common thread that combines a lot of cultures together 
and talking about it always excites me in general and i enjoy cooking per se as well so i i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and looking at it from you know a very different perspective than i normally get to look at it so thank you once again for your time and hope that uh, your your next articles would be coming out soon and, and i'll be looking forward to them thank you so much thanks for having me this is fun <laughs> thank you Hey guys before you leave I just wanted to remind you that this is the season finale of season 1 of Info Under the Radar hope you have been enjoying listening to us so far and learned few things along the way we will be taking a short summer break and we'll be back with season 2 of Info Under the Radar in the beginning of September until then you can always check out our older episodes and we will be uploading new clips on our social media instagram twitter youtube so make sure to follow us on those channels and before we say goodbye to you here are some of our thoughts and thank you messages to you guys from me and devendra enjoy so hello again and uh, yeah we just wanted to talk to you guys for a few minutes since we realized this will be like our final uh, episode or season finale as uh, devendra mentioned also in the intro it's already crazy to think about that we have released 10 uh, 10 main episodes i think four short casts mm-hmm. almost 14 episodes so how do you feel after uh, creating these podcasts for last 6 months or so devendra <laughs> now it's been a fun journey so far um with covering like a variety of topics both uh, both from like a personal perspective in general and to listen feedback from people uh, there have been people who have been like listening to us throughout the season and uh, a special shout out to you guys mm-hmm. uh, i wish that our like analytics board would have also so shown your names or your pseudo names whatever you use on internet so you would have given a call out to all of you well, at this point at least we could do it to all of you <laughs> so uh, thank you once again and yeah but the, uh, but the, it, it just feels good in general to to be able to finish like a part like the first segment of the project so far yeah i think i think it's funny that like uh i think i wanted to also say thanks of course to the listeners so that's the most important thing right mm-hmm. even though i mean we are not putting any ads or something we still have like uh, certain constant listeners and i think that's the the most we can ask for for yeah. a small podcast at this point you know and i think i also want to thank uh, our guest especially some of our first guests uh, guest our first guest particular uh, rajat i want to thank him because uh, honestly when we were about to record he was like yeah you don't have to release it it could be just a fun you know session very humble and the funny thing is he has been also been a constant listener so rajat if you are listening we want to thank you not just being a guest but also being a good friend and being giving us continuous feedback uh, throughout mm-hmm. this series and of course uh, many of our friends uh, who have been listening uh, listening to us and gave us constant feedback and i mean definitely even though in this small journey we have kind of came a long way from you know covering 
topics from tech considering our backgrounds yeah. are in technology to talking about sustainability like plastic pollution and then talking about uh, space and like now talking about almost like a controversial topic of like food culture and race so yeah uh, could not be happier of course it would be a lie if it was not a lot of work for both of us considering <laughs> working on it on top of our uh, jobs and in in case of devin yeah you are still a student yeah so uh yeah also like a special shout out to audacity <laughs> <laughs> you have been there for us yeah so free of cost which which is which is very nice i, I think i think before i forget i want to give a shout out to uh, my friend and my colleague stephanie grosse who designed our oh, yes. logo okay and that has been probably the most favorite part of this whole thing for most yeah. people i think yeah for an audio medium if the visual part is the most favorite that speaks volumes about <laughs> <laughs> the art and talent thank you stephanie yeah um, but yeah that's in general we would be back soon and but yeah uh, in the meantime feel free to check out our previous episodes if you missed some or re-listen to them maybe you missed something within the episode if they were long enough and we would be back soon with better content hopefully and, <laughs> and we will also uh, so we will not be ghosted we will still be active on social media we will still put out clips of many episodes i know yeah. our our podcast is long form so mm-hmm. it's totally understandable for many of you who are super busy Uh, who just want to check out i don't know a 5 minute clip which is easier right than listening to the whole thing mm-hmm. so yeah we will uh, we will be active there and but as devin said we will definitely be uh, coming back hopefully with uh, even you know uh, more interesting topics uh, uh, interesting guest and of course if you guys have anything special in mind which you would like to hear from us which interest you because this podcast is all about curiosity as mm-hmm. you can observe right right now it has been curiosity of two of us the topics which interest us but if you are listening to us and i'm sure you are a curious person so if you have anything in mind feel free to suggest us and we will try to cover something like that in our upcoming season mm-hmm. uh, and with that i would like to say thanks again and we will talk to you soon mm-hmm.